Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. A lot to talk about today, uh, including the fact that later in the show we're going to be talking about uh, the uh, lawsuit that's going to be heard in in, uh, federal court today uh, that uh, challenges uh, Major League Baseball for pulling the All-Star game out of Cobb County. Uh, The demand by the plaintiffs is that the game be returned to Cobb. They want a billion dollars in punitive damages. And I mention that now because while we'll be talking about the All-Star game a little later, now I get to introduce an All-Star panel on our uh, political rewind for the day. It's Thursday, which means Kevin Riley, the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is with us. Hi, Kevin. Hi, I feel like I'm uh, the number nine guy in the batting order on this All-Star team, but I'm good to be here with you, Bill. Nothing wrong with being the number nine guy in the batting order, Kevin. You know, you've got to have some strength down the line. Not that I know anything about baseball, but, I'm, I, you know, don't, don't be so hard on yourself, Kevin <laughs> Riley. Uh, we're also joined today by uh, State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver, who represents Decatur, longtime legislator in both the Senate and in the House. Mary Margaret, thanks for being with us today. Good morning. Good morning. I don't think women have made any lineup, have they? In the All Star, they my Vanderbilt uh, co-ed made the football team, but I don't think we've had any yeah. women baseball players. At the, at yeah, the, I think softball, softball, great women softball players. Um, your your friend, your fellow Sunday school teacher, uh, Edward Lindsay, is back with us again today. Edward, former state representative from Atlanta, but uh, now. Uh, leads the government affairs practice, the Georgia government affairs practice at Denton's, Edward, the world's largest law firm. Hi. Thank you for having me. Uh, And if Kevin's uh, batting ninth, I'm the bat boy. (laughs) (laughs) We're also joined by Professor Andre Gillespie, um, who is, of course, a professor of political science at Emory University, as well as the director of the James Weldon Johnson Institute for the Study of Race and difference. How have you been, Andra? I've been well. How about you? Great. I'm. Uh, I really am very happy to see all of you here today. That because you are all some of the favorites of our listeners for this show. Uh, Kevin, let's start. We're gonna. There's a big, big story, of course, that's developed in the city of Atlanta. Kasim Reed now made it clear he is, in fact, after lots of speculation, lots of hints on his part, he is, in fact going to be a candidate seeking a third term as mayor of Atlanta. Tonight he has a big fundraising birthday celebration, and um, we will get to that in the show. Um, But I want to start with a story uh, that um, I think for our statewide audience um, may have a more immediate um, interest. Um, So, Kevin, we know right now, we've, ju- we've learned in the last couple of days, thanks to the AJC, that um, three Georgians, two of whom are members of the state Senate, Burt Jones and Brandon Beach, and Garland Favorino, who has led an effort uh, to uh, get Fulton County absentee ballots recounted and has so far been successful, 
a, a state judge has said the county needs to recount the ballots. They all visited Maricopa Pocopa County, Arizona, this past week to watch the voting recount process unfolding there, the highly controversial process being conducted by a private firm, Cyber Ninjas. Um, and, and so the question is, what the heck are they doing there, especially given that we, we're still waiting to hear whether a courts are going to clear the way for this Fulton County recount to unfold? Yeah, let me just preface, Bill, what I'm going to say with something that this isn't an unusual pr practice from this point of view. And leaders from Atlanta often make trips to other cities and other states to see how those places have tackled an issue that's that has been presenting itself in Atlanta, especially places that have done particularly well with it. You've, we've written about that, and, and I'm sure you've talked about trips people have taken around around the country. Um, so I guess it's not unusual for leaders to make such a road trip, but usually it's for the good and the uh, common sense sort of solutions. This seems to be an urgent race because Arizona seems to have nudged ahead of Georgia in its ridiculousness of challenging the election. And damn it, we're going to find a way to be the state that seems to be acting in the most crazy way. Andra? You know, the thing that, you know, concerns me about this is that I, mean, I can't say that I'm surprised that anybody would go and investigate Arizona, but there's the issue of uh, how this Arizona investigation has happened. There are questions about uh, whether or not the cyber ninjas have uh, damaged the security of Arizona's election system, and that's not something that should be replicated here. Uh, you know, based on sort of what has been allowed already, uh, I think in Fulton County, they will be allowed to inspect uh uh, photocopies of ballots so that they could count. But, I mean, if they're going to go through and say the originals were photocopied or if they're going to go the Arizona route and say some of the originals have, uh, you know, bamboo in them, um, which is not only ridiculous, it's racist, uh, you know, sort of in its undertone, then they won't be able to investigate that. So then it becomes a question of, well, what are you investigating in the first place? And while I think, you know, while I, I, I don't give much trust to the concerns that people have about our elections process because there really is nothing that says that uh, that proves that there was widespread voter fraud, it's just a question of okay, if you're going to give people uh, the um, ability to examine them, how do we know that the people who are examining it are actually qualified to know what they're looking at, what they're looking for in the first place? And nobody has, has done that or proven that or gone to the, the extent to sort of uh, demonstrate credentials or to even do this in a bipartisan type of fashion where everybody can sort of say, all right, there are these concerns. Let's get different groups of people together, um, give them all the same training, and then walk them through the process to see if they come to the same conclusion after that. And that's the part that I find very troubling in addition to the fact that, like, this is, this is, is like, you know, the dead horse that will not go away because people keep on beating it over and over and over because they want to change the results of an election that, you know, is now more than six months past. Uh, Edward well, and, Mary, and Mary Margaret, I want to give you a chance to jump in. But before yeah. I do, let me explain what, what Andra referred to. There is now a conspiracy theory that there may be bamboo that clung to some of the ballots uh, cast in the presidential election, indicating that they were ballots generated in South Korea and shipped here in an effort to elect Joe Biden president. Uh, Edward and then Mary Margaret, jump in. 
Well, um, a, a couple of quick points here. Uh, number one, I, I do not expect any kind of recount to uh, to change the results, either in Fulton County or any place else, based on what we have known already in terms of the audits that have been uh, undertaken. The second point I want to put for our listeners around the state is that what the judge is considering here in Georgia is vastly different from what yeah. is taking place in Arizona. In fairness to the judge, he is putting restrictions on on how it's to be conducted, and he and I do expect that he will have more rigorous requirements in terms of the nonpartisan investigation that uh, that that uh, was referred to a moment ago, and also making sure that the ballots do not leave the custody control of of the the local election officials. Uh, and are closely monitored by the Georgia Secretary of State. So there are certain quality controls that I expect that this judge will put in place that are simply not in place in Arizona. And I think that should give folks some degree of confidence that we will not see some of the things that are taking place in Arizona. Um, and you know, and and I, and I think that that distinction is very important. Also, that, that you know, this is a lawsuit is filed by ten people who filed certain affidavits. Uh, in terms of it, I, I really don't think the judge had much choice uh, in terms of the discovery process and allowing uh, the review to take place uh, in terms of a normal discovery process in an election contested contest situation. Um, but, you know, I don't expect it to, to change any results. And quite frankly, I really don't expect it to change anyone's mind. I, right. I am always remembrance of, of, to me, one of the great truths in politics is that if facts do not lead you to a position, facts will not change your mind. Uh, and so there are certain people that are hard have a hard drive on this issue one way or the other. But you know, but I do want to reassure our listeners that what the judge is contemplating here in Georgia is vastly different uh, from what is taking place in Arizona. Uh, I totally agree. Judge Amaro, a Henry County Superior Court judge who was appointed to hear this case, took control of the courtroom and the process immediately. Um, I'm, I'm sure he thought he had the discretion in reviewing various affidavits, all of which had been presented in other court cases. Uh, to allow the lawsuit to go forward, it probably didn't, you know, I'm, if I were sitting on the bench and looking at uh, false allegations that had been determined to be false multiple times, it, I might have used the discretion just to say we've had enough. But he was very assertive from the get-go of saying, of uh, setting forth his rules and his control to protect the ballot. So I, I want to echo what Ed said, this is not going to change the results. It's going to be a carefully managed process uh, with a, a, an assertive judge who is not going to allow it to turn into a stunt, allow it not turn into a circus. That uh, is what's being carried out, in my view, in Arizona. Uh, the fact that some Republican Trumpers want photo ops of talking with some, um, I think the term you use, cyber ninja persons, uh, doesn't is not going to change anybody's mind and is only trying to again solidify some identity with the election was stolen, which is of course a totally false, non-supported allegation that many Republicans are holding on to. So, Bill, I, I guess I want to ask this question of you, Andre, because 
Of course, all reasonable minds recognize that these challenges are pointless because even if they were to be successful, they won't change the result election certified. I mean, even if you overturn Georgia, it wouldn't change the electoral. But I mean, so there must be some other reason people are doing this. And it, to me, it just seems like there's this effort to somehow do the spade work to be able to challenge elections in down the road. I mean, as a political scientist, as someone who pays close attention to these kind of things, I mean, it, it, we are dismissing it because it won't work, but is the goal to accomplish something else? Well, I mean, so let's just imagine for hypothetically for a second that, like, they did find massive irregularities and you could find 12,000 errant votes that would change, you know, from Biden to Trump and would, you know, wouldn't change the certification of the election, wouldn't change the fact that Donald Trump is, is president of the United States. But there are a couple of ways that that could go. So in the more sort of formal institutional route, um, we could look at SB 202 and other bills around the country that are giving state legislators more power over the legislative process and allow them to kind of intervene a little bit more um, in the certification process, right? So this could be used to justify why some in some parts of the country state legislators should be given the ability to be able to uh, certify election results, not certify election results, change the electors who get sent uh, to the electoral college. Um, and that in and of itself could be destabilizing. The other thing that could happen, and I think that this is more of the worst case scenario, but it doesn't seem that implausible in the face of January 6th, is this idea of, all right, they found 12,000 votes. Oh, it turned out that, you know, Joe Biden really didn't win Georgia. Uh, and uh, but he's still going to be president of the United States. Well, forget the fact that even if you invalidate our 16 electoral college votes or give them to Donald Trump, he's, Donald Trump still doesn't get to 270 um, in the electoral college, sort of, you know, based on the number of states that he won. This could embolden some people to feel that they need to uh, do another insurrection, right? There's that rumor going out there that Donald Trump's going to get reinstated as president in August. And this is only going to add fuel to that particular fire. So my concern um, about this is that, you know, while I agree with Edward and while I agree with Mary Margaret that, like, this doesn't change anything, um, and, and, and while I, I will concede that this might not end up being the circus that, that, uh, that, that it was in Arizona, the fact that we're even going down, it's like sooner or later somebody needs to sit down with people and be like, it's over. We can't do anything else about this. It is time to move on. Because what it is doing is actually sort of giving this additional oxygen so that this could end up getting, becoming something that goes outside of the institutions and becomes something that's destabilizing and really out of control. Well, um, I found fascinating what Andre was saying about now the rumor is that something's going to happen in August that will put Trump into office. I thought what was going to happen was the rumor was going to be March. Uh, the, the good thing about, about rumors and conspiracy theories is that, you know, if, the, if something doesn't happen, they just sort of change the date a little bit around. Um, uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter is a cornerstone of, of a free society in, in, a, in a democratic system is for the loser to step in front of a microphone and concede. Um, and more and more we are seeing around the country, and it's, a, and it's amplified by uh, President Trump's actions after the election, of individuals instead of accepting defeat and calling on their uh, the loyal supporters to accept the results but fight on for the next election. 
Instead, they are focusing on the last election. And as the resident Republican on this group today, I'll say that that's extremely dangerous for the Republican Party just on basic politics. The fact of the matter is uh, we are facing uh, a very strong, united Democratic Party here in Georgia in 2022 with a standard bearer who uh, is extremely well organized uh, and with a very uh, strong progressive agenda that's going to be uh, pushing uh of the 2022 election. And if Republicans don't start focusing on the next election, uh, they are going to be really, really hurting after the next election. Uh, and that's what they so, need to be be focused on. Uh, Mary Margaret, I want to give you a chance to weigh in on any of this, but let me, uh, as I turn it over to you, uh, Gateway Pundit, the uh, conspiracy-minded uh, uh, right-wing website, was all over this visit by uh by the Georgians, Brandon Beach, Burt Jones, Garland Favorito, uh, yesterday. And they, they purport to have an interview with Burt Jones, Senator Jones. Now, I, I don't, you know, it's hard to vouch for Gateway Pundit, but they say that they talked to Burt Jones, and this is the quote that they got from him about Arizona. Uh, we saw inside the auditorium a very well-organized, very business-like operation, which gave the people working on Fulton County's case some good ideas. And, you know, they learned some things they might want to do. They learned some things you might want not want to do. It looked very secure, very transparent. Mary Margaret, it, there has not been a single shred of reporting suggesting that the process going on down there being conducted by a firm that's never had anything to do with vote recounts, which is headed by a guy who is a Trump supporter, uh, is a legitimate operation. It's a little, if in fact, Bert Jones did say this to Gateway Pundit, it's a little disturbing, Mary Margaret. I have no idea what Bert Jones said to anybody, and I don't think it's very relevant to the real world where I live or the real world politics. I'm curious about the analysis that has to be going on by people like Burt Jones who have unlimited money. The new people who came to the Republican convention last week, this past weekend in Jekyll and booed um, Governor Kemp are said to be new people who are coming out of the Republican uh, base. And I'm trying to figure out, is the base changing or is it the same Trumpers who now have new cousins who are interested in participating directly. The base cannot sustain itself on lies, I keep telling myself, and I talk to other reasonable people, and nor can it continue to sustain itself when it has no evidence of any progress. It is, uh, former President Trump is putting out the rumor that he's coming back in August, that he'll be reinstated in August. Falsehood after falsehood after falsehood has to have some impact. And Burt Jones, with his gazillion dollars from his father's development business, uh, can say a lot of things to a lot of people. But what facts, what facts are changing? And then I look again to who are the leaders of the Republican Party right now that are going to try to shift the dialogue to things like educational loss over the pandemic, uh, health care that's going to impact us in a different way post-pandemic, the kinds of uh, economic issues that people, real people, real people care about, not people who live in a conspiracy world produced by QAnon. You know, 
Andra, as this as this theory that Trump actually won the election, but it was stolen from him here in Georgia and in other states, uh, that he is coming back somehow mysteriously in August. As this continues among Republicans who are who are in the past have been considered pretty respectable parts of the establishment. As it continues, it seems to me, and Ed, Ed were sort of hinted at it, it's kind of a self-defeating strategy. I mean, we know that the, uh, that the January 5th runoff election uh, revealed a much lower turnout among Republicans because they had been told over and over again not to trust elections. I, I don't see anything that suggests that this ongoing scenario is going to encourage Republicans to turn out in 2022 either. I mean, nor is it going to change the fact that Georgia's partisan landscape is changing, um, you know, in part because the demographic landscape has changed. Um, and, 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 and I think the problem with this is Donald Trump is a very short-term strategist, so he goes for the instant gratification kind of bug, and Republicans have followed suit, even Republicans who should know better. Um, I think that there are a lot of Republicans, particularly ones who've been active in the party for years, who are more like Ed, who are more like Ed. Right. And they know the truth, but they're going along with it because there's the short term expediency to kind of keep the job that you have now, not get booted out of office, not be in the doghouse or be in the minority within your own party. Um, and that ultimately is one not going to look well in terms of history. And it probably isn't going to fare well personally for a lot of people who uh, are going to very legitimately be charged with, um, you know, it being inauthentic. Uh, and, 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 and making decisions that were purely based on expediency and not based on anything right. And for a party that spent a whole lot of time talking about, you know, character and values and all these kinds of things, one of those values should be um, standing up for what you believe in and sticking to it regardless of what the consequences are. And, and, and that's been unfortunate. And that's not an indictment of just the Republicans. All of us are, are susceptible to that that we make really kinds of ridiculous compromises if it's going to sort of appease our own self-aggrandizement. And um, this one, ultimately, like it might not have an effect, you know, next year or, or, or three years from now, uh, but eventually it's, it, it's not going to put the Republican Party on, on firm ground. Bill, I'd like to, you know, add to uh, Andre's point, but before I do that, um, I was thinking that you could start referring to the guests on this show as political rewind ninjas, because somehow that legitimizes um, anything you do. Um, so I would, I just want to put that out there for yeah. Amelia, your senior producer, to consider, because um, I think that's a decision that needs to be made well above your head. But all that said, I do think um, Andre's right in this important way. Look, loyalty is important in politics, in our lives, and in, in, in many ways. And um, I do think because of how political coalitions and careers are built, it's difficult to leave people behind. And I think that's at least part of what's going on here, right, is not only do you have the political risk of, of the former president turning on you, and if you're not in office, you can't do anything, as, as Andre points out, I think. And then you just it's just tough to say goodbye to someone so i don't know what you know what uh ed and mary margaret would say about that but i just wonder how much that plays into this well i'll tell you what uh, i gotta get to a break uh, uh kevin i'm glad to continue a little longer on this part of our conversation when we come back and then i want to turn to this uh, uh uh big announcement 
of Kasim Reed jumping into the mayor's race. What are the implications for Atlanta and really for the rest of the state? We'll do all that and more, but first these messages. Edward Lindsay, Mary Margaret Oliver, Andre Gillespie, Kevin Riley join us today for Political Rewind. Uh, Mary Margaret and Edward, let me give you a quick chance at this before we move on. Um, you can respond to what Kevin asked right before the break, but also I, I posed to you the question I did to Andre, to each of you. A self-defeating strategy by Republicans to continue to essentially tell Republicans not to trust the results of elections and therefore they, won't, they may not want to go out and vote? You referenced the significant drop in January of the special election um, when Senator Warnock was elected, and I think there was a, a, a real impact. Um, and Trump was not on the ballot on January in fifth, so I think I think you're right. I think that in a in the normal world, which we're not in. Um, Voting is not a hugely, hugely energizing process most years. I mean, 50, 60, 70 percent uh, in, in some elections, 10 percent people turn out. So when you change people's mood significantly toward a negative, towards a negative view of politics, everybody's a crook, everybody's lying, everything is stolen, you're going to get a lower turnout. And that is an intentional strategy. It doesn't work in many cases. And the focus on the, the Trumper, which had never been a, a person who voted. I mean, I, I think about the Trumper votes who never voted before, but somehow were brought to the elections based on Trump. They went away immediately. And now the people who are booing Governor Kemp, who are they? Are they brand new who will go away immediately? It's a very self-defeating strategy to say everybody in politics is lying, everything is a thief, only I know the truth. That's not a positive opportunity for people to engage. Edward? Well, uh, three, three quick points. Uh, one, uh, in, in case folks haven't uh, listened to uh, former Speaker Boehner's uh, recent book, I, I commend it to you. It's better to listen to him than it is to read because he's, he's quite blunt on several points. And one of his best uh, points that he makes about the difficulty of, of leaders of a political movement in times like this for Republicans or Democrats in, in different times, is he says that if no one is following you, you're not a leader. You're just a guy or a gal on a walk alone. And so that's the problem okay. that, that a lot of Republican leadership is facing now. The second thing, uh, point I want to make is to be perfectly blunt, and folks have hinted around this a little bit, is Donald Trump cost the GOP in Georgia two U.S. Senate seats. Right. Uh, full stop. That's all there is to it. And number three, uh, I'd like to entertain a new conspiracy theory here. Uh, and try to start propagating it, that Donald Trump is actually a double agent for the Democratic Party uh, because no Republican, no person, no other person could have done more destruction to the Republican Party in Georgia over the last six months than what Donald Trump has done. And our challenge Perfect. is to move beyond him and start focusing on the 2022 election. Well, we're going to have a All very right. difficult year next year. Thank you uh, for that, Edward. Um, <laughs> Kevin, let's move on. Uh, we uh, we now have Kasim Reed about to jump in to the mayor's race, uh, running for a third term, served two terms, of course, and uh, stepped down. 
moved on. Not quite. He, he you know, for a while, we weren't quite sure what Kasim's uh, post-mayoral strategy was. It now appears that more than anything else, it was thinking about whether he could make a comeback at some point. But, uh, Kevin, what's the impact of Kasim Reed uh, jumping into this uh, mayor's race, which already has Felicia Moore, Sharon Gay, who, by the way, is a partner of Edward Lindsay's at Denton. So we'll take that into consideration as we talk about those candidates. But Kevin, what's the impact of Kasim Reed? I don't think you could have anyone jump in who would change the race more than Kasim Reed, no matter how you feel about him and his chances. I mean, uh, he's on the front page today. We're talking about it. Everybody who cares about that race is talking about it and what it means. So I do think he completely changes the race. Uh, and, and, and frankly, I mean, I think it's positive in the sense that it's going to create a lot of interest and probably a lot of voter engagement and a lot of questions that people have to answer about what their plans would be for the city. Um, now, it, I don't think anyone would question uh, Kasim Reed's abilities as a politician, although maybe our politicians and uh, Will on this, on this show, but he uh, he's, I'm sure, serious about it, and I'm sure he wouldn't have jumped in if he didn't think he had a good chance to win. I'm fascinated by the psychology of somebody being out of politics uh, and then deciding to come back, which is a very common pattern. It was certainly my pattern. Uh, I was out of politics for for many years, four years when I lost the lieutenant governor's race. And I had a law office to go back to. I went back to practicing law. And I remember a lot about that time in terms of of my disinterest for a long for those years, most of those years in politics. Kasim um, does change does change the ground rules, but he's got to realize that in those four years, people just sat around and talked and gossiped about him, and they were they were energized to talk about him when the newspaper stories came in really rapid succession um, about all the people who worked for him and with him had to, had to go to the penitentiary. The corruption issues um, are very much part of the ongoing conversation during his absence. His promotion of Keisha as mayor um, and his distancing from her was not a positive story. The corruption was not a positive story. I was always interested in where he was going to establish himself in the professional legal world. I never saw a path for him there. I never saw evidence that he was redefining himself in a positive way. I'm interested in the political science numbers that show me that uh, Felicia Moore got more votes than Keisha Lance Bottoms in uh, the last mayoral election. I'm watching Felicia Moore's ground game and trying to compare it to the mixed bag that Kasim brings to the table, but in a very visible way. Well, Mayor Margaret is right is that he brings a mixed bag uh, to the election. Uh, he, uh, in his first term, uh, to his credit, he took on uh, the pension crisis in the, in, at City Hall. Uh, he also uh, beefed up the Atlanta police force during his first term. In his second term, uh, it, it has been uh, his second term in, in the administration uh, was plagued by corruption charges, uh, in which, as Mary Morgan pointed out, several uh, high-ranking officials within his administration have already been convicted and several more face serious charges uh, in which uh, the trials will take place 
either late this year or early next year. So um, he comes in he, into the election with, with some uh, plus points, and, and but also some very serious baggage. And a lot of folks in Atlanta have got to ask themselves if, uh, if going back is the right course or should we move forward with someone else. And, uh, and that's going to be an, intellect, an interesting fight this year. Uh, he, you know, he is a formidable politician. Uh, he's shown mm-hmm. that uh, throughout his political career. Uh, but whether or not he can overcome the baggage that, that he accumulated during his, particularly in his second term as mayor, is, is highly questionable. Uh, I suspect that a large number of voters in Atlanta are going to want to be uh, trying to shake off the past and focus on the future, in which we've got very serious problems. I mean, this situation, uh, crime, uh, is is spiking uh, throughout the city. I mean, a lot of the focus has been on on my area of Buckhead, but it's also spiking uh, in every corner of the city, uh, East Atlanta, South Atlanta, West Atlanta, Midtown, as well as Buckhead. And that's the number one concern that voters are going to have. Uh, the number two concern will be quality services. Uh, number three concern will be uh, a clean government. And... Um, and I'm not sure if uh, if Mayor Reed is going to be able to be that person who can project uh, that he can move us forward or not. But we'll just have to see. It's Andrew, going to be an interesting race. I'm sorry, Edward. Andrew, jump in. Sure. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I find sort of interesting about this race is that, yeah, while uh, Christine Reed enters the race with a uh, high uh, level of, of name identification, um, very similar to how Joe Biden entered the 2020 presidential race, right? So you'll get this boost because people know who you are and they really don't know who the other people are as yet. Um, I think it's a question of whether or not this is, this will sustain itself. So you come in with high uh, name recognition, but then you also come in with really high baggage. Um, the fact that, as far as I know, the um, investigation of his prior administration it hasn't ended, as, as, as Edward has, as has alluded to, you know, is a problem. And it's the same problem for Antonio Brown, like real hard to run when people think that you're being investigated or in Brown's case when he's been indicted. Um, I do believe that that's the case, so please correct me if I'm wrong about that. So there is, there is that uh, particular issue and that challenge. And so a uh, read can't approach this race as though it were 2013. I think, you know, he reminds himself that he was the underdog in 2009 um, in many ways. And I think even there, I'm not quite sure, like what actually propelled him, um, you know, into the runoff election was unlike Lisa Borders in particular, who didn't have a clear and identifiable base in the city. Uh, Christine Breed was able to consolidate one um, south of I-20. And I'm not sure that he has a clear run of, of that group. Maybe he you know, can pivot towards Buckhead, where he'll compete with Felicia Moore, especially if Mary Norwood chooses to continue to run for city council um, and, 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 and not enter the mayoral race. But this is just a very, very different dynamic, and I'm just not sure that it's going to play out in the same way. Not that he can't do well, but that it's just going to look very differently. And if he goes in thinking that it's 10 or, you know, seven years ago, then it's, it's a very different dynamic or eight years ago. It's a very different dynamic. So, uh, uh, Kevin, um, and I know, Edward, you want to jump back in. I do wonder, um, I, I, all of these points about the, uh, the um, many, uh, the, the ammunition that people are going to have to throw at Kasim Reed is, is, is really clear. I mean, Corruption in the administration. There's also the excessive bonuses he uh, paid out at the end of his 
uh, tenure. There were expenses, the expenses. He had to return money for trips. That he, all of that's going to be very uh, 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 good fodder for his opponents. But, Kevin, I wonder, with crime as the number one issue, whether uh, voters aren't going to be looking for a strong a strong person, I was going to say strong man, and maybe that is what they might be looking for, someone who can really demonstrate that they've got what it takes to fight crime. And Kasim Reed certainly makes an argument that he's that guy. We have to hear what Felicia Moore, who speaks articulately about the matter, but is she going to have the faith of voters that she can take on that issue? We have to hear from the others on that as well. Yeah, Bill. So, I mean, I think Felicia Moore missed her chance. I mean, she could have been really coming out strong about the crime thing by now. I mean, she had the window, and now the focus is going to be on Kasim Reed. I, and I'm going to make kind of a wild assertion here, and then maybe Ed and uh, Mary Margaret will jump in. Um, but so, I mean, do we have a Trump-like race here? We have a candidate with many, many flaws, much ammunition for his op opponents to uh, uh, talk about. I mean, literally legal, potentially legal problems and historical problems, but there is one issue that candidate grabbed onto and just pounded away, and that issue was important enough for enough people for him to, to get elected. And before I let Ed jump in, I mean, Mary Margaret made the point that she the pattern is to leave politics and come back. So now Ed's out of politics. So if he wants to make any news on this show, this is his opportunity about jumping back into politics. <laughs> well, let me, Mary Margaret, wait. What, Mary Margaret, why don't you take it? And then, Edward, you jump in. <laughs> I think crime is on everybody's mind. I think that's clear. I think that uh, Kasim didn't create the crime issue as a, as a central po political issue. It's there. I'm very curious. Uh, about what are the changes. I always look at what are the changes in the demographics, and Atlanta's demographics have changed. Felicia Moore has had a grand game forever, successful grand game forever. She shows up everybody. She's every place. She's respect, respectful everybody. You can't say that about Kasim. Felicia's always respectful to people. She's always wanting to talk to people at every little uh event and she has been a successful doer honest straightforward doer on the ground for atlanta for a long time how does that relate on the ground how does her relationships that she's never stopped making uh relate to the issue of crime for kasim to say he could fix it in 100 days and he knows what to do kind of sounds like the arrogance of one of his downsides by contrast, there are people who may believe that he can change it in 100 days, and, and they want it changed in 100 days. I think what happened last weekend of just random shooting of people on Howell Mill and West Wesley uh, with serious, I mean, ser serious, serious injuries from random wrecks and random shootings is what is on people's mind and will continue to be during this hot summer of people out on the street. How does Kasim recreate whatever he lost in his four years of absence? And how does he create a ground game with new voters? Well, let me build on, on, on what other folks have said. Uh, Kevin is, is absolutely right. The number one, number two, number three, and number four issue in this race will be crime. Uh, there are other serious issues that come after that. But whichever candidate, and there are several 
candidates in this race who can uh, look folks in the eye uh, and say that uh, the problem is real uh, and I'm the person who can fix it. Uh, and and show that kind of absolute determination will be the person that I think gets elected mayor. Uh, that's number one. Number two, um, I, I don't see Kasim Reed having any type of clear path in, in, in Buckhead. The fact of the matter is Felicia Moore has been working uh, in the, the Buckhead community over the last four years and neighborhood associations and everything else. So mm-hmm. she has built a, a good amount of um, – goodwill, uh, you know, in, in the bucket community. Sharon Gay, who is, you know, full disclosure, my partner, and I think very well of her, has also been working extremely hard both within the business community and in the uh, East Atlanta and in Buckhead and South Atlanta, too. And she's got a strong connection with a lot of her pro bono work in West Atlanta. So, um, so you know, Kasim is facing some very formidable opponents in this race that I just don't. So he's really going to have to, if he's going to win, he's got to go back to his strategy before and figure out a way to hold on to that base that Andre was talking about earlier, that south of I-20 base. And and I found that a little bit doubtful, too. But that that's where he's got to go back to. It's, it's either win or lose for him uh, south of I-20. All right. We will certainly spend some time in the weeks ahead talking about the mayor's uh, race in Atlanta and making the connection for why the winner of that race matters a lot to the rest of the state as well. Uh, But for right now, let's get our final break of the show out of the way. Come back with a look at the federal lawsuit, uh, the hearing being held today uh, against Major League Baseball. This is Political Rewind. Kevin Riley, an organization known as the Job Creators Network, a right-wing organization funded largely, by the way, by the Mercer family, Robert and Rebecca Mercer, and Bernie Marcus, one of the creators of it, uh, who was a huge Donald Trump supporter, is in federal court today. Uh, They want uh, Major League Baseball to bring the All-Star Game back to SunTrust State Field up there, whatever, Truist Field, whatever it's called now, up there in Cobb County, uh, and they're asking for a billion dollars in punitive damages uh, because they say that uh, uh, MLB's decision to yank the game because of Georgia's election law uh, deserves uh, uh, t- uh, some punishment. Kevin? Yeah, we're monitoring that. I, I, I think that hearing is this afternoon, right, Bill? I, uh, I think it was uh, the famous Ed Lindsay who once said on this show that you can uh, sue a ham sandwich. Is that? I think that's the way he put it so eloquently. Um, and you know, I think there's a little bit of that going on here. Um, but these groups on the uh, right filing these kind of things um, has it's become much more common. I think it's it's clearly a movement on that side, and uh, it's obviously a publicity stunt and i don't think anyone gives us much of a chance but uh major league baseball their their players union everyone's vigorously defending the the decision um but who knows anything can happen in front of a judge i suppose i'm going to go back to the word stunt and circus and ask the question does Sidney powell still have a license to practice law today i mean these kind of lawsuits are embarrassing to the profession and um, there needs to be some consequences. Clearly, when Sidney Powell, y'all know who remember her about every ridiculous allegation she made, and then when she was sued for those allegations, she said, well, nobody would believe that. Would I mean, That was her legal defense. 
I was lying in the first place. Um, so this is the, the atmosphere that I look at this lawsuit. What do the documents say? <laughs> do the documents that anybody signed about bringing this baseball uh, game to uh, Truist Statement in Cobb County say anything about if Georgia does something totally stupid politically, we have a right to cancel the game? I mean, what do the documents say? That's, that's the real world where I live. And this is not a real world lawsuit. I'll go back to my word stunt and circus. Um, Andra, I, I want to pick up on something Mary Margaret just said about uh, the kind of people who are bringing these lawsuits. It is interesting to note that uh, the Texas Bar Association has just announced they have launched an investigation of Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton asking whether he has violated state law and uh, bar codes for the lawsuit he brought against states, including Georgia, challenging the election. So Mary Margaret makes an interesting point about these kinds of lawsuits which just come out of nowhere and uh, seem to be disgraceful to the profession. Well, I mean, I think what this is an example of the symbolic politics. Um, and so people are putting forward these lawsuits that have little chance of making it sort of, you know, past uh, a first hearing because they want to make a point. It gets you airtime. It'll get you, you know, on television and on the front page of, of, of newspapers. And by doing so, it helps to raise awareness of the issue to keep it kind of in the news cycle. Um, and then it might be something that could be used again as a talking point later for somebody who's running for office. So it seems that this is more of a PR strategy to me than it is an actual type of legal strategy. Um, and, you know, some people have argued, as this has been discussed in the last couple of weeks, that this is something that is, is highlighting the small businesses that were adversely hurt by this. I think the question, I think Mary Margaret kind of gets at, and the question that I would ask both of the lawyers on our panel is, aside from the what chance does this have, uh, if we look at sort of what the punitive damages are set at, we, there were estimates about how much the All-Star Game was going to bring to Atlanta, but we don't know for sure. And, like, is this comparable to a situation where, say, last year when the NCAA Final Four had to kind of, you know, be scrubbed because of COVID? Was that an act of God? So, therefore, like, there's no need to sue against that because we have to go back in the queue and apply again in order to get that. Like, it's not like they got to make it up again uh, this year, right? They'd already moved on and awarded, you know, the next year's uh, competition to, to, to other cities. And so changes and changes were even made this year in part to accommodate stuff that comes up. So, you know, how much flexibility do these sports organizations have to move around and to make changes? And are we entitled, like, once it's been announced, to like assume that we're going to keep this and going to generate the type of money that we want to generate from it. Uh, well, first off, uh, thank you for Kevin for quoting, but I believe my quote was anybody with a typewriter and an $80 filing fee can, can file a lawsuit. The question is, can, does it have any merit? Uh, I was very disappointed like most Georgians, uh, that the MLB chose to leave Atlanta and go to Denver. Uh, I believe that it was a wrong decision, uh, but it was a decision uh, by a private entity uh, that had uh, contractual rights to do so, apparently. Uh, I don't really think that the, that the lawsuit has any kind of, of serious merit to it. But, you know, quite frankly, there is a long history going back to the, you know, probably the first time that uh, a court was created to folks trying to use the court for some type of publicity purposes, which I think this is. Um, I don't think it has much chance of prevailing. 
but we'll have to see. Um, and I'll be really, as a lawyer, I'm sure Mary Margaret and I are both fascinated to see what possible legal theories that the lawyers stand up in uh, and argue today. Uh, you know, I find it very doubtful. Uh, but you know that this is anything more than political fear. Well, I would bring it back, you know, picking up on what Ed said to well, let's call it political theater. But there's an important thing for this state and our city to remember, and it's this: these are showcase events that these sports leagues and conferences and organizations have numerous cities and states bidding on. They can take the Major League All-Star game anywhere they want, and people will love to have it. Atlanta is a very highly preferred venue for these kind of events. It has to do with facilities. It has to do with ease of access. It has to do with being able to get people here from the airport. And if if we have politicians doing things that these entities see as, you know, Mary Margaret used the word circus. I mean, if, if Georgia's politics becomes a circus, what will actually happen is these folks will just avoid it. They don't need the headache. They don't need to be defending a lawsuit. They don't need to have to deal with adverse publicity for their showcase event. The Major League All-Star Game, besides the World Series, is the biggest event for that sport. And they said, hey, we don't need the headaches. We're going to go do this somewhere else. Um. Go ahead, Mary Margaret, make a quick point before we leave. The World Cup is coming, a bigger sport of event than anything we can think about. And when Stacey Abrams is governor as the face of Georgia, our attractiveness <laughs> internationally is going to be ramped up in an exciting way. Okay, I do want to point out real quickly, we're about to run out of time, that the estimates for the kind of revenues that events like the Major League All-Star Game and things like national political convention are almost always, always um, way beyond what those events really uh, generate. They're always suspect figures. I can tell you that after covering 10 national political conventions, cities, the stories always come out. Gee, it was disappointing we didn't bring in the revenues we thought we would. Maybe that would have been true with the All-Star Game. Certainly there are businesses up in Cobb County that have been hurt by this. All right, we're completely out of time. Uh, thank you, Andre Gillespie. Thank you, Mary Margaret Oliver, Edward Lindsay. Kevin Riley, I said you were an all-star panel, and of course you proved it throughout the hour of the show today. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you all out there for listening. We're back again, of course, with another show tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Bill Niga. Take care. Stay healthy. Uh, wear a mask when you think it's really important to protect yourself and the people around you. And if you haven't been vaccinated, now's as good a time as any to go out and do it. See you all tomorrow. <laughs>